powered by Sports Interaction, Canada's Sportsbook. Welcome to Game Over Montreal. The Canadians took the second period off and it bit them pretty hard tonight. Unfortunately, it was against the hated Ottawa Senators. But hey, you know what? For a game between the Montreal Canadiens and the Ottawa Senators, this was relatively free of shenanigans. Now, did Austin Watson try to headshot Uri Slavkovsky? Yes, he 100% did. But Slavkovsky saw it and evaded it. So, pretty much no shenanigans. Arbor Jacki tried to start some, but, you know, we got free of it this time. It was a relatively normal game, and that is something to be said between these two game between these two teams. They usually can't play a normal game. Uh, whether it's crazy injuries or just total nonsense bench clearing brawls or you know one team scores four, the other team scores four, goes to a shootout. This is a relatively normal one. So decent game overall from the Montreal Canadiens, even though they took the second period off. Uh, they ended up ahead at even strength, but once again, as has been the story so often this season, the difference is on special teams, and the Canadians can't seem to figure it out. They did score one up a man in, with a delayed penalty from Dvorak, but doesn't really count on the power play. So uh, we got a great show for you tonight. We're going to talk about all those things. We're going to talk about Kirby Doc, the good and the bad tonight. We're going to talk about Jonathan Drenn's return, uh, the consternation around him and uh, Armia in the fan base, whether or not that's justified. And we've got Tony Ferrari on from the Hockey News, which is super exciting. We're going to talk a little bit about his top 50 prospects list that's coming out real soon at uh, the Hockey News. We're going to talk about the World Juniors, Habs prospects that made it, didn't make it, who to watch out for, all that kind of fun stuff. But first, I got to tell you about Sports Interaction. You think you know which way it's going to go? Make your bet with Sports Interaction. Whether it's the World Cup, which only has one game left, I believe now. Yeah, it's... Uh, Fantastic setup between Argentina, who are so, so due. Everyone wants Messi to win, and France, who are just a power and never seem to go away. I'm going all in on Messi. I don't know what you all. Hockey, football, basketball, sports interaction has you covered. Bet pregame, live in play, or on one of our many prop bets. Join now and see all sports betting has to offer. You want to bet? Head to sportsinteraction.com slash sdpn. That's sportsinteraction.com slash sdpn. 19 plus Please play responsibly. Now, let me welcome in our amazing guest, Tony Ferrari, a veteran of last year's Game Over Montreal, Game Over Juniors. Tony does everything. He's great. Welcome, Tony. Ah, I hear you're talking about no shenanigans, but you didn't even mention Caden Gooley intentionally firing a puck onto the Sens bench. Does anyone, you know what? When he did it at first, I thought it might have been intentional, but I, I don't know. He's not quite Daniel Alfredson. No, it, it was a funny moment. I mean, obviously, thankfully, the trainer's okay after going to get uh, a few stitches and getting cleaned up. But, yeah, it was one of those things where I, uh, you saw Brady kind of getting going, and I'm like, oh, is this going to be the moment things turn? And aside from a few little scuffles between Gooley and Brady, there wasn't really much, like you said. Yeah, it, it was a game that seemed to, like, simmer under the surface of maybe becoming shenanigans and then just never really got there. I I wonder if the Sens had scored four, if it would have got to that point, you know, like there was a period in, in that second period where it seemed like they were going to score four or five. And maybe if it got more out of control, the Canadians would have lost their composure a little bit more, but thankfully 
nobody seemed to really get hurt and uh, no major shenanigans to report even though Kane Gooley is clearly a sniper trying to take out uh, <laughs> was it was it a medical trainer that he hit there or was it an assistant yeah. coach yeah, as a medical trainer, and I mean that if you're gonna take out somebody on the bench, that's who you have to take out. <laughs> that anybody else, anybody else you injure has no help. Yeah. So. Oh, oh God, I I'm sure there's some people who think that Gooley did that on purpose, but uh, we don't need to talk about them. All right, uh, <laughs> Kirby Doc, I think is the main story of the game for the Montreal Canadiens because from the first penalty, which I think we'll probably agree, Tony was definitely a slash, but on like, I, you could argue it was on the soft side, but he probably wasn't justified in being as mad about it as he was at the time. He clearly got in the rest faces on that one. And then in the second period, I don't think that was interference on Brady Kachuk. That seemed to me like a puck battle and just two guys getting into it physically. And he clearly lost it a little bit. I don't know what he said to the officials, but it seemed to be okay until he slammed the penalty box door and got the extra minor there. What was your take on Kirby Doc tonight? Because after all that, he goes out and kind of starts the comeback. Yeah, it was really interesting because, like you said, that first penalty, while it's probably a softer call, it's one that I think we've seen over the last couple of years, even with the kind of crackdown on slashing and everything. It, it was a penalty that I'm like, okay, like if you're going to call that, that's a way to keep the game under control. And like you said, there, there was no shenanigans, so maybe it ended up keeping the game under control. But I understand Kirby getting mad and getting a little pissed off and slamming the door on the second one because, yeah, that one seemed a little soft. So I think maybe something he said on the first one got under the ref's skin and they called that second one. And then him probably chirping off even more and slamming the door. I he probably shouldn't have been a double minor. I don't know how many times we see guys slam doors in the NHL going to the penalty box, but... The refs clearly had some sort of shenanigans, and if there wasn't going to be shenanigans between the Sens and uh, Sens and Habs, you might as well have it between the refs and Habs. <laughs> yeah, less chance of injury that way, I guess, unless yeah. somebody goes full Dennis Weidman, which I don't think anybody will. But uh, what kind of wrecked it for me that whole situation was that uh, Doc got dinged for abuse of official, not unsportsmanlike mm. conduct, and that I'm like, come on, ref. You yeah, didn't that's get abused. Goofy. Yeah, that's that's pretty crazy. Like, and because if he if it would have been something that he said, they would have called it while he was on the ice and not in the penalty box after he slammed the door. So it's like he said something to the ref, and then him still being angry and slamming the door was like, you know what? I'm gonna turn around and I'm gonna take that seriously as abusive official. Like that's kind of nonsense. Yeah. It it reminds me of one of those NBA technical fouls where. They weren't going to call anything until you started chirping at them or you said something earlier in the game that now they're on watch and they throw the tech, they throw the extra two minutes for Kirby here in this one. And it was unfortunate because I think really the only part of the game that the Sens were clearly better than the Habs was on the special teams, like you said earlier in the show. Yeah, it is unfortunate. And then you got the Slavkovsky situation where he very clearly held the puck. <laughs> which is the second time in like a week and a bit that the Canadians have done that. Uh, Nick Suzuki did it while shorthanded against the Oilers recently and, and basically gave them a full minute five on three, which is like from Nick Suzuki, who's an incredibly smart player. It's, it's pretty weird that, that keeps on happening. But uh, at the same time, I noticed that uh, in the third period, Jake Sanderson did the exact same thing. He picked up the, he caught the puck in the air evaded a check while holding onto it and then threw it down to himself. And I was like, hmm, 
All right, then. Yeah. All right, then. It's one of those things where I think the ref goes, does he close his hand on the puck? Does he not close his hand on the puck? In my opinion, when you're evading a check like Sanderson did, as much as I've enjoyed Sanderson's play this year, it probably means you had a pretty good grip on that puck, and it probably should have been a penalty. But, yeah, I think that's what the refs are looking for on those. Does he close the hand on the puck? Or, I mean, in Justin Hall's case, does he decide to throw it through the neutral zone? That's what Suzuki did, too. He picked it up and threw it forward. Yeah, to me, like the it's such a touch tough one to say because like most times I think when guys catch pucks in the air, we all know they're closing their hand on the puck. It's 100%. it's all about like do they make an extra move to change the direction of their skating or the puck itself to put themselves in a more advantageous position, right? And I think anytime that a player does that, you you have to call it right. And Slaff did that, Sanderson did that, but it's not like the it would have mattered for the Canadians anyway, because the power play is terrible. <laughs> you just score before the power play starts. That's all you need to do. Yeah, there you go. Christian Dvorak with the second goal tonight to make it close. And unfortunately, they couldn't uh, close it out. But uh, we're going to talk about some other stories other than the fact that the Canadians' power play sucks here. Uh, <laughs> we're going to talk about the return of Jonathan Durant. I, I saw people kind of laying into him on Twitter for that miss at the blue line at the end of the game, which was a bouncing puck. But... Uh, before we talk about Duran and Armia, and I want to talk about Jake Evans as well, I got to tell everybody that uh, we really appreciate you watching the show. And if you're watching the show and you like it, make sure you click that like button. Make sure you click subscribe to SDPN. Hit the bell there to be notified whenever there's a new video. And if you really like the show, well, come on, help us grow. Take that uh, share button at the bottom of the YouTube video and put us on your favorite social media. Tell your friends about the show. We're uh, still a fledgling outfit here at Game Over, and if you don't like the Montreal Canadiens, but you're tuning in, well, you know, you could be an Ottawa Senators fan or Vancouver Canucks. We've got shows live. We've got Vancouver and Calgary tonight playing each other, and both uh, shows going live at the same time. So that'll be fun, just like we're playing Ottawa and uh, Maud, and I believe Mark Dumont is on that show tonight, the first crossover between Montreal and uh, Ottawa. So lots of fun stuff to enjoy on SDPN. But, obviously, got to talk about Jonathan Duran. I don't know what your thoughts were on him tonight, Tony, but I thought overall in the game that he played really well. And with that net empty situation, everyone's focusing on the one bobble at the blue line, which I think could happen to anyone. I saw two really strong blue line holds before that to keep the play going. So I, I just don't understand. I mean, I understand where it comes from because the production hasn't been there, but... When a guy is playing well and not producing, I think we have to focus on the playing well and not the production. Yeah, I think with Jonathan Duran, like you mentioned, the two holds at the blue line, but there's also two zone entries, if I'm not mistaken, from Duran on that same empty net situation. And he got a really nice, uh, a good shot off from the high slot. It, it ended up being blocked and he chased down the rebound, got it in the corner himself. He was doing a lot of the right things. And I, I talk about this when I'm looking at draft prospects and, and prospects of all ages. If the process is there, the production should come at some point if you see the skill. And while Jonathan Duran's not a prospect, the process is there. He's doing the right thing, and and that's what I saw from him a lot in this game. Because he didn't hold the puck in at the blue line, a bouncing puck like that, I I saw a couple people on Twitter going, Jonathan Duran's the reason we lost the game. And I'm like, guys, like the penalty kill was the reason you lost the game, not Jonathan Duran. So it was a little Mm -hmm. goofy with some of the reaction, but I think, like you said, there's that kind of set bias against Jonathan Duran at this point coming in uh, all those years ago in the trade for Sergachev, not quite living up to the expectations that we all had for him in, in 
not being in the lineup every day, I think this year has been a big thing for him. A guy that's been hurt a few times, was held out in the, at the start of the season as well. It, it just seems to be this anti-Jaron bias, and it's almost getting to the point where you wonder, is it going to be good for the, the team and the player just to kind of go their separate ways and, and get a fresh start for that guy? Yeah, I mean, if Jonathan Drouin wants to continue his career, because there's a lot of speculation around Montreal that he doesn't really want to play, I don't really believe that, just because I think it'd be very easy for him to retire right now and walk away. It's not like the team would be begging him to to stick around. I think he still wants to play. Tonight, he seemed to have a little bit of fire in his belly. He had that great break-in chance to to draw a penalty. Uh I thought there were times where the power play looked dangerous, even though they didn't strike. And most of that were plays generated around Jonathan Drouin. You know, he was moving the puck really well from that point. He had a, an actual decent shot from the point, which we haven't seen on the Canadians power play. Not that they should be shooting from the point a lot, but I digress. And another guy who is always um, the target of Montreal Canadiens fans is Yoel Armia. And again, I thought he had a decent overall night. Had that another, just like Drouin, a breakaway, and he couldn't finish. But that's just been Armia's bag. And I did a show, uh, the Hockey Inside Out show for uh, the Montreal Gazette earlier today, and there'll be an episode released over the course of the week, like a bonus episode, talking about UL Armia. And they were, like, the guys that I was on with, they just, like, do not like UL Armia. Super <laughs> obvious. And I there's lots of stuff to criticize about his game. And I agree with some of it, but people don't realize that coming into this season, if you prorate Armia's production with the Montreal Canadiens, uh, regular season and playoffs combined per 82 games, people will never believe this. He scored about 17 goals per 82 games. Like he does have it in him to produce, but this season has not gone his way. Yeah, it was kind of funny on the broadcast because obviously I'm not watching every single Habs game and he has that chance to, to score and he just misses and they go, oh, and he almost had his first goal of the season. And I, I had to double check because I'm like, man, like he seems to be another guy that does a lot of the things well in terms of at least generating chances and doing a lot with his tools. The finish has never really been there. The the kind of inconsistency in his game has always been prevalent. Um, someone someone uh, I was talking to recently called him uh, a C minus Josh Anderson, where I'm like, he's got all the tools. He does a lot of things, but he doesn't really ever have that ability to fully turn it on in the way Josh Anderson does at times. And, and that's kind of what I, I keep seeing from Joel Armia over the years is it's a useful player for sure. I think he, he could play on, on the bottom six of most NHL teams and be at least a, a break even guy. With the Habs this year, it, it's the, he's been snake bitten. He's doing stuff, but he's not really getting the offense there. But like you said, he had a good game today. I think it's another one of those things where the process is there. He's getting the puck in the offensive zone. He's generating chances. He's doing things, um, at least not kind of detrimental to the team, which has been the case in Montreal over the last couple of years. So I don't know what the the hogwash uh, about his game that today was, and and over the course of the year, I get the production isn't there, but. I mean, the Habs aren't looking to win every game this year. No, and I think that's what's important, right? Is people get frustrated, I think, by Marty St. Louis' lack of like punitive action against guys who aren't producing. But that's what he was brought in for, right? And it's not just about not punishing prospects who make mistakes or, or young players like Jack Guy, who got a penalty pretty early in the game for a dumb play that had nothing to do with the game. He was just trying to 
go after a guy that he has a history with. Uh, he wasn't punished for that. Armia hasn't been punished for not scoring. And that's like, there's a goal there, right? They want to get him going just like they got Mike Hoffman going earlier on in the year. They want to get Christian Dvorak going. They want to get everybody that they're eventually going to trade going so that they continue to build their value. The way I describe Armia is he's kind of like a luxury player. I think he is a fantastic fourth liner on a contending team, but he's not a guy who can be a scorer on a third line. Like a third, like if you, the way the modern NHL is right, your third line is no longer a checking line. It's more of a scoring line on good teams. And he doesn't fit that mold because he's just not consistent offensively. So if he's a guy who can kind of get forgotten, play a simple game, dump it in four check into oblivion, you know, catch the odd uh, free puck in the middle of the slot off of a turnover by the other team and fire that into the top corner. He's going to be a good player for you. We saw that with the Canadians in the playoffs two years ago, right? He was phenomenal on that cup run. But for a rebuilding team, it's kind of like square peg into round hole. He, especially for a team that's struggling with injuries and kind of requires guys to play up the lineup. It just it isn't working. Yeah, it's it's frustrating for a team like Montreal, where, like you said, they are rebuilding. They've got so many guys in the lineup that you want to see play big minutes. And Joel Armia is kind of taking minutes from people, and and that's I think part of the reason that fans get get on him about everything is why isn't Slav playing eighteen minutes? We should just cut Joel Armia's minutes. And at the end of the day, it's not that easy. You right. can't just cut one guy's minutes and go, well, okay, we'll give Slav Armia's minutes and. Slav's not doing a whole lot with Armia's minutes if you, if you give them to him because he's not getting put in the opportunities in the situations to, to succeed. So I, I think some of the frustration comes from fans just not understanding deployment. And, and some of the frustration comes from, like you said, just not producing. And at the end of the day, you want those guys to to get a couple goals, get their, their mojo back and, and be a, attractive to trade, trade, t- trade, trading teams. But it, it's going to be interesting to see what uh, Armia does the rest of the way because, like you said, he is that luxury guy that uh, could work on a, a Colorado or Tampa Bay, but on Montreal, on an Ottawa, and teams like that, it, it's just not worth having those guys. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, the expensive fourth liners is a Bergevin and Hallmark, right? So, and yeah, Romelli here in the chat wisely points out the biggest problem with Army is his cap hit versus production. Hundred percent. Yeah, like nobody wants an, a UL Army for three point four million dollars, except for Mark Bergevin. Right, mm-hmm. even on a contending team, you want a UOL Armia, but not for that price. You want it at like half that price maximum, and that's why, like, if the Canadians were to trade him and get anything in return, it's going to be holding back some salary, I think. And uh, Ian Boisvert in the comments also says, "I don't think people realize that the only alternative to Durant on Armia right now is Rem Pitnick, so they're probably optimizing the, the lineup as it is." I think a lot of people want them to call up Anthony Richard from Laval or Jesse Yelonen, but like you have to let Laval have some players. And I don't think the Canadians have the cap flexibility to be like sending guys up and down all the time. They can wave Rem Pitlick again, but like, can you send down UL Armia and then maintain his value enough to trade him at the deadline? And there's, Man, there's not a lot of flexibility. Right? Yeah. They just have too many guys signed to big contracts in the NHL. It's, it's just how it is, and I think people just got to be patient with the rebuild. Yeah, I think you send a guy like Yul Armia down to the AHL, if he's probably going to clear waivers. I don't think that's the issue. But as soon as teams go, oh, he was in the NA- the AHL for a bit, 
that immediately tanks any trade value that he had. And yep. hopefully you can sell a team on on that role of, hey, we'll retain salary and, and give you them for the fourth line and let them be that guy for your team as you make the run in the playoffs. 100%. All right. Uh, let's. I know I wanted to talk about Jake Evans, but I want to talk about the prospects more. I talked about Jake Evans a little bit uh, on the last show. I thought he had a fantastic game against Calgary. And once again, uh, a great game in this one. Crazy pass uh, to Doc on the first goal to get the comeback started. But let's talk about prospects, Tony, because you've got this top 50 prospects coming up. Got to ask the question that's on every Canadian's fan my, fan's mind as we're going through this show. How many Montreal Canadiens prospects are in the top 50? And what is there a cutoff that would allow a guy like Slavkovsky to remain in there? Or is he out because he's in the NHL? Well, unfortunately, I'm not doing drafted prospects. It's all draft oh, draft eligible prospects. My so mistake. Pro- pro- probably two or three, if we're being honest, for the Montreal Canadiens, because they're going to have a few draft picks in the first round. I expect them to get a couple at the, the top of the draft. But, I mean, just looking in, in, in Montreal's system, I think they have built up a good prospect system. I think guys like Slaff and guys like Josh Wall, who we'll talk about at the World Juniors and everything like that, they're, they're guys that are going to be difference makers at the next level. Even a guy like Oliver Kaplan, I think, has a role at the the next level for the Montreal Canadiens. So they've they've got a good prospect pool. I still think they're missing that one A star, and maybe Slot becomes that. But at the end of the day, this year's draft has quite a few of those guys. So it's going to yeah. be interesting. Yeah, it is going to be an incredibly fun draft. I think there's more like high end talent in this draft in than. Jeez, it's been a while. I feel like maybe. Yeah. I'm trying to think back, the Mitch Marner draft seemed to be pretty strong at the top, if I remember correctly. Yeah, that 2015 draft is probably the closest thing to this one. 2019 was really strong, too, because of that NTDP team, and we're seeing some of the fruits of that draft now. But that 2015 draft is the one that I like into this one, because you have, in this draft, you have Bedard, Fantilli, Mitchkov, Leo Carlson, even. And in that draft, you had guys like uh, McDavid, Eichel, Marner coming out of that draft. So... There's a ton of high-end talent in this year's draft. And like I said, Montreal, if they end up falling and getting the fourth pick, if they end up getting the, the sixth pick, they're going to get a player that's probably a top three pick, top possibly even a top two pick in most years' drafts. And if they get if they do win the lottery and end up with one of those top two, three picks, they're probably getting a player that would likely go first overall in most years. Yeah, it's an exciting time for teams in the bottom, which is always fun. It makes the games worth tuning into at the end of the year when you're hoping to see something special, but you know nothing's going to come of it. Um, <clears throat> speaking of the Canadians' prospects at the World Juniors, I know Riley Kidney was hurt. Uh, I don't know if it was coming into the development camp, or not development camp, but the selection camp, or if it was during it. But uh, it, it seems like it was minor enough that he could have possibly been fined during the tournament and obviously played in the summer tournament. Do you think it was a bit of a disappointment for him not making it? Or is it just like they don't have time to worry about injuries? This is how they have I, to I th- do it. Yeah, I think it's a little bit of a combination of both. If I'm not mistaken, he was hurt in the first game against U Sports. Uh, tried to play in the second one, was dressed for it. They had an extra forward dress just in case. And he ultimately couldn't go. And I think him being a bubble guy at this tournament, uh, looking at the roster, 
it, ultimately the team went, we don't know exactly where your fit's going to be. And if this injury lingers at all, then it's not necessarily worth it bringing you there. There's only so limited tournament, so many limited roster spots. They don't have 25 man rosters like they did at the last couple tournaments because because of COVID. They went back down to 23 man rosters. So I think Kidney's a guy that they would have liked to keep around. And if they had 25 man rosters, he might have been there. But with the injury and and just concerns about wanting to make sure that this team is healthy and strong going forward, it, it just kind of made sense to leave him off this year. Yeah, and my other question is. Did Shane Wright being released by the Seattle Kraken to go back to this tournament screw over Owen Beck? Um, I'm going to say no, because I think Owen Beck screwed over Owen Beck. And, and yeah. I'm not saying that because I think he's a bad player by any means. I think the fact that Owen Beck doesn't have the positional versatility that so many other players in this um, on this roster have. You have a lot of centers on this team. Just looking at it right now, I think there's eight guys yeah, eight guys on the forward roster that are listed as center or center wing. So with the fact that Owen Beckett is a guy that only plays center, he's made it clear over the last year or so that he is a center. He's not really a winger, and his game does thrive in the middle. Um, I think that's why he ended up being left off this roster. He'll have another shot next year, if I'm not mistaken. But at the end of the day, when you have forward depth, where I think Connor Bedard's probably going to be on the wing, you have Shane Wright, Adam Fantilli, uh, Zach Dean, Nathan Gaucher. At, at the end of the day, it was just a fit thing for, for Owen Beck not making the roster. Uh, again, he's one of those guys that I'm like, if they had the 25-man roster, he might have been the guy that kind of makes the team still. Yeah, it sure seems like because of when the last tournament took place, which seemed to get almost no traction compared to a usual World Juniors amid you know Hockey Canada scandal and in the yeah. middle of the summer and a bunch of players like Caden Gooley, Shane Wright, just straight up not going because they wanted to be healthy for NHL training camps. This team seems to be so much deeper. So a guy like Joshua Waugh, who did make it, who scores like crazy uh, in the queue and seemed to have a big role in the summer tournament, do you expect him to still have a big scoring role on this team, Canada, where he's kind of looking at like a point-per-game production kind of thing? Or is he going to actually have a smaller role despite like being the same player or maybe even slightly better better than he was a couple months ago. I think he probably ends up being the the offensive piece on the third line. We talked about how the NHL teams have kind of moved away from that checking third line. And it looks like Canada, for the most part, has kind of done the same thing. I think a guy like Josh Wall really brings that scoring element on the third line. And does he end up getting a chance up with with one of the top two lines? I think that top line right now, at least on in camp today, it looked like uh, Othman, Wright, and uh, Dylan Genther. Uh, and then Connor Bedard, or sorry, and then Connor Bedard. And then on the second line, there was Genther Fintilli. And uh, who was it? I think it was Nathan Gaucher or someone like that. So I think you're going to have other skilled players to play on that third line. And, and Joshua Wall is probably going to be the, the offensive catalyst for them. Yeah, I think most people still hear third line and they're like, oh, well, they're not going to get much offensive opportunity. But in a tournament like this, with the way Canada plays, like there's going to be a lot of opportunity for offense from the third line. It's not like they're yeah. playing, you know, Sammy Paulson style hockey anymore. And the other thing with that too is the fact that this year's tournament, because so much attention is going to be paid to wherever Connor Bedard is, and then there's going to be attention paid to wherever Shane Wright is. It's going to be really interesting to see who is the the defensive pair that a guy like. Uh, Josh Wall is going to go up against. I just pulled up the lines now that they had today. Zach Dean, Nathan Gaucher, and, and Joshua Wall in the third line. 
you're not upset about that line because that's a really good offensive line, a line that's probably akin to the a second line over the summer. But they're going to get third pair defensemen. They're going to get the third and fourth lines. Like they're going to be able to eat those teams alive. And we might see one of those guys like Joshua Wall or Zach Dean end up being like fourth on the scoring chart of this team, or even third on the scoring list in this team, just because they don't have to deal with the other team's best players. Yeah, that's a great point, Tony. And also something that maybe we should keep in mind in terms of <laughs> projecting players is that when you're not playing the top line roles and with how deep a team like Canada or say the U.S can be at these tournaments, sometimes it doesn't necessarily mean everything to be dominant <laughs> at the World Juniors. So we should all calm down, take everything in proportion. But with that said, not playing on Team Canada, I think, means a bit more in, in some ways to dominate um, for playing for like a smaller country when you really stand out, especially when you face some of the top teams. So what are your expectations for Canadians' prospects like... Uh, Oliver Kapanen and Philip Misar or Meshar. Well, I think all, I think Oliver Kapanen is probably going to end up playing a pretty premier role with the the Finns. Uh, looking at the lines that some people had pre- projected today, he could be centering a guy like a couple guys like Brad Lambert and Joachim Kumel. Or if he doesn't center those guys, there's other guys like uh, Alexander Kaskasemi or Vili Koivin in the top six. And at the end of the day, I think he's going to be a top six center for that team because he is one of the more natural centers on the team. So uh, whether Brad Lambert plays center could determine whether or not he's the uh, captain is the first line center or the second line center. But he's going to have a pretty good opportunity with them. And then a guy like Philip Mishar, we've seen how much fun he is this year in Kitchener. He he does a lot of really pro ready things. And he's going to be like that when he goes over to the tournament as well. So I think he's going to be a guy to watch being a sneaky guy that, that could make the all-star team if they can make a run with that team. It, at the end of the day, though, it's, it's going to be tough when they go up against teams like Canada and Sweden because those two teams are absolutely loaded this year. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Rock Smash in the chat says that, remember, was uh, Wall was the most used even strength forward in August. He'll get ice. The assistant coach is his coach in Sherbrooke. I mean, yeah, uh, especially when if he's not on one of the like the main power play units, right? If you're not playing a lot of power play, you're going to be leaned on for the shift right after the power play. So sometimes if you're rolling lines, which I don't think they should do with guys like Connor Bedard on the team, but Canada tends to sometimes do the rolling the lines thing. Your third line can end up with a lot of even strength ice time. So I I think he'll have lots of opportunities to produce. But we kind of buried the lead here a little bit, Tony, because I think the most exciting guy for the Canadians to watch in this tournament we haven't spoken about yet and that's Lane Hudson for Team USA. And it all appearances seem to show that he's going to play with uh, Luke Hughes on the top defense pairing for Team USA. Is there a more exciting defense pairing in like the last 10 years in the World Juniors than those two together? Uh, no, that's cowboy hockey right there. That's that's going to be some fun hockey if those two end up playing together because both of them are extremely dynamic. Both of them want to push the pace and both of them are basically forwards at times. So it's going to be yep. fun to watch a five forward unit for the U.S. Uh, with that said, I think both those guys are going to be asked a lot of this year with that U.S. roster, the way it's looking outside of the top line where they've got uh, Snuggerud and Cooley. Their offensive depth is kind of lacking. They've got a lot of third line grinder type guys, a lot of guys that are depth scorers, but they don't quite have the offensive firepower that we're used to seeing from the United States. They definitely, uh, I think they're going to miss guys like Ty Boyd and Sasha Pashjov, who was at the tournament last year and was pretty good over the summer. If not mistaken, he had eight points in six games. So it was weird to see them leave him completely out of the camp roster. And 
Uh, that defensive core in general for the States is going to be loaded. They, they probably have the best defensive group in the, in the tournament, but Lane Hudson and Luke Hughes at the top, especially like Luke Hughes is going to be expected to do some big things at this tournament. He's going to be maybe the best defenseman at the tournament. And Lane Hudson's going to get all the opportunity to do just as well, because he is probably their third or fourth best offensive player after a guy like Luke Hughes and Logan Cooley. So it's going to be so much fun to watch them go. And especially if they do just decide, hey, we're going to pair a bunch of offensive guys in the back end because we don't have forwards that can do it. Yeah, I feel like Luke Hughes is kind of be, going to be given the like Thomas Shabbat uh, for yeah. Team Canada treatment a few years ago where he was playing like 35, 40 minutes a game in, in the medal round. It, it's going to be fun to watch. Uh, you know, I, mean, I guess Owen Power also had big minutes when he was playing in the World Juniors. Seemed to be relied on in every single situation. It's going to be fun to see who sinks and who swims. Um, other than that, Tony, is there any uh, Canadians prospect that's caught your eye at all this year? Oh, there's the, I mean, Philip Machar is probably the guy that I'd go with there just because of how funny, how funny he is, how skilled he is. He does. He plays such a mature game and he really just dominates the, the board battles and the little things. I think uh, Leafs fans like to just go off on John Tavares and call him the king of little things. I think that's something Steve goes off about. And, and Philip Machard does a lot of those, those same little things that make him really good. And he does have the speed and the burst out in open space. He is still young and he's still developing, but he plays bigger than he is. And I know there's some people that are concerned about the size a little bit, but he's not a guy I'm worried about. I think he's going to be a really good pro and, the fact that he's not in the AHL this year is going to be an interesting thing for his long-term development. I think that's going to be something that we all look back on and go, what was what was going to be best for him? But at the end of the day, he's tearing up the OHL. He's doing a really good job there and helping that Kitchener team kind of get back on track after starting pretty slowly earlier in the year and being a little bit inconsistent. But yeah, he's a guy that I just love watching this year. Yeah, from what I've heard behind the scenes, he may not be long for Kitchener. This is yeah. kind of the scuttlebutt. And that happens a lot with uh, pros- like high-end prospects around the World Juniors, it seems. Is it, that's kind of like the, the point where they make the decision and they can get somebody to come in while that player is off not playing. But uh, I've heard some things going down in Kitchener, uh, not to do with Meshar himself, but just it seems to be a little bit of a mess down there. And uh, that the preference might be to move him to a team with a little bit more put-together situation. Yeah, my vote goes to uh, Windsor because they're a good team and they're in my backyard, so I can watch them a lot. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I've heard Windsor mentioned. I've heard uh, North Bay as well. I yeah. had to look up where North Bay was, and I was like, it's a bit of travel. <laughs> yeah, they're a really good team this year, but they're not uh, a team that I want to watch a ton because their jerseys <laughs> are ugly and they are got a really bad camera feed, I'll be honest with you. I mean, their jerseys have been ugly since before they were in North Bay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah they got to move on from whatever it is that they think they're doing just change the name it's got to be something yeah. else uh well, they're coming was... out with new jerseys apparently so like hopefully hopefully they're better but we'll see the, the colorway still seems to jersey reveals same. are always so so uh it, it's fun to watch on twitter it's always yeah. a calamity right there's people who are like these are the greatest and the people who think everything's terrible but uh hopefully yeah. we can get some nice ones here uh Rock Smash says I'm fully on board to manifest the Ben Sherratt for Connor Bedard train. I, I don't know if you know this, Tony, but uh, the Florida Panthers traded an unprotected 2023 first for Ben Sherratt last oh, year. Uh, oh, I know it. I have a buddy at work who's a Montreal fan, and every every couple days he goes, 
Florida's still out of the playoffs. Yeah. Florida's not in the they're not in the playoffs. And he was saying before the season that his hope is that Montreal gets a top 10 pick with their pick and a top three pick with Florida's. So <laughs> it, it, I mean, as much as that seemed a little goofy at the start of the season, Florida not necessarily securing their playoff spot the way they did last year is going to be an interesting storyline to follow for Montreal as well. Yeah, I'm sure eventually the Panthers will find their way out of it because I think they're still like fourth or fifth in both even strength and all situations expected goals. Like, yeah, eventually that has to matter. But then and, again, and, and we're starting to see Detroit come down to earth a little bit too, yeah. which is uh, the big reason that they haven't necessarily been in a playoff spot. Or, or the Montreal Canadiens are playing 3D chess <laughs> and they lost to the Ottawa Senators. So the Senators can vault up the standings and overtake the Florida Panthers as the Detroit Red Wings fall. And that is the gambit to get another lottery pick for the Montreal Canadiens. And I'm sure uh, that's realistic. Yeah, the galaxy brain of Kent Hughes is real, boys. (laughs) Man, if if they end up getting a pick that's, like, eligible for the lottery from that Florida situation, that's best trade ever. Oh, goodness. Unless they get another first for Monaghan. I mean, even if you end up winding up getting a top five pick, say you, you get a draft of Zach Benson or someone like that, I, I think you're going to be laughing away at it because th- this year's draft is really, really good. And any pick in the top 10 for Ben Sherrod is probably going to look pretty bad later on in the future. In the first round, I mean, especially in this draft, like even if yeah. the Panthers were to miss by, or even if they make the first round and go out in the first round, you know, picking like 16, 17 in this draft for Ben Sherrod, that's, yeah. that's highway robbery. Yeah, there's there's quite a few talented players in that 15-16 range, especially if the, the 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 Habs are able to kind of continue doing what they've done the last couple of years in the, or last year in the draft where they weren't afraid to draft a guy like Lane Hudson. So maybe they're not afraid to draft a guy like Andrew Cristal who falls out of the top 10, despite the fact that he's been top three in scoring in the WHL, really only sitting behind Connor Bedard. So it's going to be interesting to see because that Florida pick could uh, really, truly be franchise-changing. Yeah, absolutely, and we, which is crazy, considering where Florida was last year. But hey, you <laughs> hired the losingest coach in NHL history. Sometimes that happens to you, and also the <laughs> the goaltending situation is like a tough sell in Florida, right? Like you never know what's going to happen with the with young goalies or with Sergei Bobrovsky. But uh, yeah, the Canadians, I think, are going to fall down the standings as the season goes on. It's a long season. It's a tough season. We all know what their underlying numbers are like, yeah. even though they were they were decent at even strength this year, but or not this year, this game and the game against Calgary as well. They were fantastic, but uh, the special teams are a huge issue. I, I feel like as much as everything kind of turned for the Senators in the second period, it was the Canadians' first power play that turned the game. Just the like complete lack of momentum, and after that, they like didn't get another shot for like twelve minutes or something like that. Uh, we have a question yeah. in the comments from JG he's saying Habs versus Ducks tomorrow because we're back on tomorrow back to back should he bet over 5.5 goals in that game Jake Allen's back Uh, in the Ducks are pretty bad the Ducks are pretty bad Uh, Toronto basically didn't try and put up seven on them the other day um yeah you know what I'd probably put on uh, put a put a couple bucks on plus over over five and a half because Montreal will score two or three, and I think the Ducks will score three. And Man, yeah, that game could get ugly. It could be a fun scoring fest, as long as Montreal doesn't have to play on the power play. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, no kidding. I mean, you've got Zegris. The last time Zegris was in Montreal, he did the Michigan, but like continued skating and like flicked it backwards. It was it's the best Michigan that's ever been done, in my opinion. I forget if he did it on Allen or Montebo, but it was rude and it was fantastic. So <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure Zegris and Caulfield will want to get going against each other, right? Yeah. Have a little goal scoring competition. You know, Jake Allen's been playing well lately, but second half of a back-to-back is always tough on the defense. Play big minutes, tough. I think I think yeah. I'd bet the over. I think I would. Yeah, I think I'd bet the over. And, and the guy you mentioned there, Cole Caulfield. I thought he was really good today. After he not, was, or after getting punched out of the game or hit out of the game the other day, he was really good. He had a number of offensive chances, looking like Cole Caulfield. There's a number of times where I'm just like, man, Cole Caulfield's just a fun hockey player. I just want to keep watching him. He is such a fun hockey player to watch. Like there have been games this season, and I mean last season as well, where you just think about that thirty-game stretch under Dominique Ducharme. Like, how did he only score once? How did yeah. that happen in this universe? Watching this kid who's so good, whose shot is so amazing, it's hard to believe that that was a real thing that actually happened. But that's the NHL, and I guess that on that note. It's time to end. So before we close things out, Tony, tell everybody where to find your work. Uh, you can find my work at the Hockey News. You can follow me on Twitter at the Tony Ferrari. And I'll be having the top 50 draft ranking coming out on Monday. So be sure to check that out. Uh, Connor Bedard, Adam Fantilli, and every other future hab will be on there. So it'll be fun to watch. So top 50 draft ranking, not prospects ranking. <laughs> Don't trust my reading ability. I can't do it very well, apparently. Uh, Ian Beauvais says Montreal will be fresh tomorrow. They only played two periods tonight. It's a good, it's a good point, Ian. It's a good point. All right. Uh, oh, I guess last question before we close it out. Uh, by the way, do you guys like Slavkovsky in front of that month? PP one. I'm happy he got put there, but I like him much more on the wing. I like him more in a situation where he can shoot, but there were several plays tonight where Slavkovsky kept pucks alive by being yeah. faster to them and a little bit more physical using his reach. I think he's showing his versatility right now. So it's kind of fun to see him slaughtered in different positions. Yeah, I think uh, Toronto's done this a couple of times. I know Tampa does this a lot where they have a guy that is their primary net front, but he moves, he rotates to the wing, he rotates to the bumper spot. I think that's going to be really what Slavkovsky sells at because the more stagnant you are on your power plane, I think this is a big thing for Montreal. They like to get their guys in the positions and not move at all. Um, but if you can get those guys rotating between a couple different positions and you have your position A and position B and rotate between them and, and let the guys cycle through on, on that power play unit, going from the bumper to the wing and the net front to the bumper and vice versa, that's where I think you get a guy like Slav who, who can be, like you said, effective on getting that puck behind the net. And then you get an, another guy that's cycled into that net front presence so that he doesn't have to try to chase the puck down, pass it out and get back to the front of the net. Let them chase the puck down and cycle up to the wing and then have that guy rotate down to the net. I think that's where they're going to find success. 100%. I mean, we've been screaming to get them to rotate guys for a lot of seasons, Tony. A lot <laughs> a lot of seasons and several power play coaches through that, but it doesn't seem to be happening very soon. Uh, thanks to everybody for tuning in. Thanks to Tony for joining us here. It's always fun to talk about prospects in a game where the Canadians lose and gives us <laughs> something to talk about. Uh, thanks to Miss Epica, Rock Smasher, Ian Bovair, uh, K, of course, Sarah Y, everyone here who's joined us in the chat, JG asking betting questions. How, I'm sure our sponsors absolutely love Trizak. Everybody, thanks for joining in. We'll be back tomorrow. Less than 24 hours, I think, we'll be back on. So that's fun. But uh, until then, it's time to end. We'll see ya. Game over! 
powered by Sports Interaction, Canada Sportsbook.